that's not how I prefer my Batman, you know, <laughs> I prefer like uh, one part orphan, one part detective, uh, two parts vengeance, but <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Geek Chew, a podcast where we chew over the geeky things that we love. I'm Eamon. And I'm Charlene. And our intro music is by my brother Ryan, and it's book club week. It's book club week. So for those who were not following along, we're going to be talking about The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. But we also watched a couple movies that, at least one of them I think we really liked, and then uh, some TV. Nothing, nothing great on TV this week, I think. They had the new uh, trailer for The Mandalorian Oh, did you uh, watch season it? Season two, the trailer yeah. that I sent you via text. Yes. Oh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> it's that hard. is disappointing. You, if you send me things during the day when I'm like at work and then start texting me about other things, that just gets lost. Yeah. It really uh, does. I don't intend for it to. It's coming out soon. It's October 30th. It's going to be on Disney Plus and it looks good. It looks great. When did they wrap up recording on that? I have no idea, but. It must have been before um, things really went sideways, I would imagine, right? Yeah, you'd think. Because a lot of the production of that is is going to be like... Post. Post, right? right? Yeah. So if you didn't watch it, which I thought you had, this will be a real quick conversation, but the action looks great. <laughs> There's X-Wings, a lot of the same characters. The story is going to uh, kind of delve into the weird kind of Jedi as a foreign concept, and he's supposed to deliver the child to to whatever Jedi he can find left in the universe. And like, right. that's kind of weird that it's, it's a foreign concept to like, right. Cause where is it? I, I think I'm just always confused on where in the timeline this is taking place. Yeah. I think it was five years after the return of the Jedi. I guess it seems more realistic that they would be more unknown at that point in time after, uh, order 66 and the whole prequel stuff where yeah. they had kind of eliminated of Jedi, but yeah, uh, they do reference some of the ancient fights between Jedi and Mandalore. And, and I think basically who they're going to be looking for turns out to be Ahsoka, but they don't give any um, hint or preview of her in this trailer. So, oh, uh, all right. Yeah, I was looking for <laughs> me and T were both ready for it and yeah. it did not happen. But, uh, well, yeah. it'll be exciting to see her and see that at the end of the month, I guess, next month. <laughs> yeah. And then, I don't know, the only other TV thing I had down here was The Great Pottery Throwdown. Yeah, that's Which fun. we just watched a couple episodes on HBO. It's super easy to get sort of bogged down in those where you just like keep letting it play. And they're just sort of warm and comforting, the, those British competition shows. They're not, um, I don't know, they're just fun and sweet. Um, and I've missed The Great British Baking Show. I haven't had a new season of that for a while. At yeah, least available to watch on Netflix. So I knew that um, obviously that you enjoyed that show, and I did not know that this was a British show when I put it on, but was pleasantly surprised to find out that it was when yeah. we started watching it. And there are three seasons that just dropped onto the HBO Max, so I imagine we'll be watching more of that. Just fun, yeah. Just, I mean, it's literally just people making pottery, little challenges, competitions, and uh, yeah, it was good. 
Yeah. Some of the other stuff that we might give a try. Uh, Ratchet just dropped on Netflix, a new Ryan Murphy show with Sarah Paulson. I watched the trailer. It looked pretty good. And then um, season two of Taco Chronicles, uh, which I'm not sure if we will watch because uh, I thought we had watched the whole first season. Turns out because of subtitles, we hadn't really gone back to the um, right. It's even hard. the second episode. It's easy to for us, I think, to watch shows with subtitles in small installments, like a movie or this. But when it's like a whole series, and this is the kind of show that we kind of watch while we're doing other things, as opposed to sitting down and really paying attention and investing all into it. I think that that's probably why we didn't um, keep going with it. Cause I, I feel like we really liked it. Like the first episode that we saw, but maybe it was just more difficult to fit into our life then. Yeah. And I, maybe I'm just misremembering what, what the first episode was about, but I don't think the first episode had subtitles, right? It was about the, um, the two women who own that uh, taco shop. Was it that one? I thought, Oh, maybe that's why we didn't watch the second episode is because we were going to have to invest some time into it. And then we just never got back to it. Whatever. Yeah, Memory. I blame Netflix. Yeah. As as previously stated, they, they just didn't keep it at the top of our recently played. Um, probably because it wasn't. But Right. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I don't even think it's in our continue like watching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it will be now because we started the second episode and we were like, nah, mm-hmm. not right now. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I don't I don't think that there was a whole lot else that we did this week. It was kind of a slow week as far as pop culture intake. One thing we did watch and really enjoy, though, was the movie Your Name, which was a 2016 anime movie, right? Right. And we watched it last weekend while Courtney was here. Yeah. And it was directed by Makoto Shinkai, who I think at the time was kind of a up and coming name in, in animation in Japan. And this one really... Uh, broke through for him like this was the second highest grossing film in japan ever like only second to spirited away i think is what i read oh really and uh, i don't know it was it was really good this is body swapping time bending coming of age story but the animation is beautiful the story is really good yeah Uh, it's really beautifully rendered and not just the characters but like all of the scenery is just so gorgeous to watch and I, I read a couple of articles on The Atlantic ab- about uh, one was the review of the movie and one I think was kind of a background of why the um, the film had done so well. And it talks about how basically all of the 2010s in Japan were kind of filled with anxiety. Uh, you know, they had that big natural disaster in 2010. They have a rapidly aging population and younger people coming into the workforce have, you know, difficulty finding jobs, you know, same issues that a lot of countries have, right? Uh, the disappearing of rural, rural areas and how to hold on to traditions and stuff. And that stuff, it's all kind of worked into this movie as far as like the comet and mm-hmm. potential destruction of this town and right. Uh, and the, the Shinto shrine and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I don't really have like a whole lot to say about it. I think I'd, we need to watch it again at least one more time. Um, I would love to watch it again. I think that's one that I could just put on and have on while I'm doing other things at any point. Um, you know, I'm a big Miyazaki fan. Um, I think the animation and and the sort of mystical elements in this are very different. Um, I wouldn't necessarily compare these, but they do kind of give me that sort of same emotional feeling um, when watching them where, I don't know, there's something about like these animated stories that are just so easy to get invested with 
as opposed to actors that you recognize from so many other things. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, animation just kind of, it hits me a little bit differently. And I know Courtney really appreciates it too. Yeah, I was uh, kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say surprised. I mean, I get emotional watching a lot of things, but it was a very emotional story and watching experience. And you really, I guess, the way that the story is told really builds a lot of empathy with the characters somehow. I don't even know exactly all the little things that they do to pull you in, right? Mm-hmm. It's just when it, like when it was over and it did hit so hard, I didn't really, I don't really know why, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, the director said he... I think his intent was to kind of reflect the anxiety of, of the times, but also um, provide like a hopeful outlook for, for young people as it, cause he made it for, for younger people. But I think it obviously has had an impact on wide swath of the population there. It's very mm-hmm. popular. So popular. I think they I said they found a uh, director for the live action version that's coming in. I think it's on Netflix. Everything's coming to Netflix, I think, but yeah, um, I don't know, but I, I'm very worried, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it could be good and it could be bad, but, you know, nothing can change the fact that the that this, the, this story is still here, right? So right. it's really, um, I would re- really just recommend it. I don't know, 2016 is such a long time ago and to have it be so popular and like we just had never heard anything about this movie before. Just kind of, I wouldn't say strange, but it's kind of indicative, I guess, of how insulated kind of pop culture can be. Yeah. From, from one country to another, mm-hmm. uh, even though obviously we export a lot, not me and you, but <laughs> the <United> States <laughs> exports a lot of their pop culture stuff. But uh, it was it was really good. The only reason I found it was, you know, the Hulk critic that I follow on uh, on Twitter said he had watched it like three times in a day and he cried every time. I mean, Courtney cried. Yeah, a lot. Like it wasn't just like a, a little bit of tears, and he doesn't do that a lot. For I mean, like he does cry at movies, but not the not the way that he really was invested in this one. It was just yeah. such a beautiful story. I I love it. I loved it so much. And the other movie we watched was a Netflix original, also that just came out on Friday, "The Devil All the Time." And this movie was based on a novel by Donald Ray Pollock, and I I think it was like a 2012 novel. So. That's when um, it was published. Yeah, I think so. But it was directed by Antonio Campos. And I don't know. It's it's a really heavy story. Uh, mostly, I think, about evils committed by people for various reasons and frequently in the name of religion. Um, what did you think of the movie? It's hard. It t- I think it's one that takes a little bit of time to process. I think ultimately I enjoyed it. The watching experience for, for some of these Netflix movies, th- I think because of the format, you know, you're streaming at home, there's a lot of other distractions than watching a movie on the big screen. So um, there's something to be said for that. There's a lot of, you know, like Tegan watched it with us and she likes to have commentary and that's difficult. And then it's hard not to get involved with that myself, even when I'm like, shh, shh. And then, and then I, (laughs) and then I say something like sort of involuntary and um, it kind of pulls you out of that world. That aside, I think the kind of story that it is where there's a lot of um, fibers weaving together to connect and complete like sort of this tapestry of of what's going on in this one young person's life and, and how everything kind of fits together like a puzzle or I love that kind of story where, you know, every everybody's sort of on a path and they intermingle and, and how this choice affects that choice and um, 
it was an interesting watch. I have to, I think the best part of the was Rob Pattinson's performance. It was super over the top. Um, he was so weird and like despicable. Yeah. Um, I mean, the cast is really good. The it's, cast was, was really good. And I said, but Rob Pattinson was the best part. You know, it's, I mean, I sent you that ringer article about how weird Robert Pattinson is the best Robert Pattinson. Yeah. This, his just kind of creepy snake oil preacher guy <laughs> that uses religion to, um, in really unseemly kind of predatory ways. I mean, there, there are parts in the movie where I felt like I had fish hooks in both sides of my mouth, just pulling down. Cause I was, that was the look on my face was like, Oh, this is painful to yeah. watch. I know they've made kind of a, and it, it was kind of weird. He, you know, he's got this whiny kind of nasally Southern accent that he's doing in the, in mm -hmm. the movie. That was strange. It's, I don't know. It was, he was really good in it. It's just, it's not how I prefer my Batman, you know, <laughs> I prefer like uh, one part orphan, one part detective, uh, two parts vengeance, but you know, the rest of the cast was also good. And the movie was, I mean, it's got Tom Holland, and Rob Pattinson, obviously. And that's why Tegan wanted to watch it. She would have no interest in this movie otherwise, just based on what the movie is. Right. Right. I thought it was well told and really looked good. Yes. But ultimately where I came down, when, like when the movie was over, I was like, just what I felt was, is this story, was that story worth telling? Like, I just didn't understand why the movie was. Um, uh, and I think ultimately after thinking about it, why it didn't kind of speak to me is that I, I had no rooting interest in them. Like there was nothing for me to invest in, in the movie. Yeah. And I know not every story has to be told in that vein, but I think, the point was the point of the movie was just too dark and kind of um, not what I'm looking for right now to yeah. not have that. I think I liked it a little more. Um, and I kind of like that sort of, you know, tale told in a hopeless world. And everything's kind of full of despair and misery. And, um, <laughs> you know, like it's just, well, uh, I think, it feels more real to me when, when everything seems a little hopeless, which kind of seems awful, <laughs> but, but then there is like, you know, little bits of hope here and there. And I mean, there's, there just really, there was a whole lot of sadness in this movie. Yeah. And you, you know, that can be fine. I, for me, there was just something missing in the movie, mm -hmm. but I, I did still enjoy it. Like I, wa I liked watching it and I thought it was, um, worth the time. I did. Yeah. I, I just, it's definitely not like a rewatchable thing for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would revisit it either. I did like the narration, which um, you had let me know was the, the writer of the, the book that this was based on. Um, sometimes that's good for me. Sometimes that's not. But I feel like that the narration of this story, I thought it was a, a really like a major part of the whole movie as a picture. Like without that narration, it would have been a completely different story, I think. And it was really well done. That was one of the reason I even looked it up was because his voice just kind of sounded like somebody who should be telling the story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what actor is this that I can't really place? Mm -hmm. and that's, that's why I couldn't place it. Not an actor, but it was a good touch. Yeah. I, I mean, I think overall I liked it. I don't know that I loved it, but I definitely think I liked it more than you, but I don't have any like much else really to say about it. Yeah. Now we can get into the, the book club portion of our, uh, of our podcast here and um, yay book club man you know we always 
and by always I mean never do, is come up with a new book club book to announce on the day that we do the book club episode. Yeah. So we'll do that this week, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll start. I think I have a couple of ideas too already simmering. Okay. Because um, uh, I'm wondering, like, maybe we should kind of mix it up genre-wise. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We definitely can. And, but Ocean, at, The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. One of my favorite books of all time. Our, our first re- reread for book club. Right. And I still love this book. It's still one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. I did like rereading the book because there was definitely large parts of it that I didn't remember. And it is a book that I also really enjoyed. I mean, the setup for the book was this guy comes home, right, for a funeral. They don't really say whose funeral. And then in his experience of being back home, has this flood of memories come back from his his childhood. Yes. I think I've mentioned many times before that Neil Gaiman is one of my favorite authors and um, definitely one of my favorite storytellers in general. This is just like a perfect example of why I love his storytelling. I don't know. It's like the kind of story that you would make up if your kid asked you to tell them a story at bedtime, right? Only this is just to the nth degree of, you know, just like a a wild fantasy of of things. But then there's also, um, you know, a lot of character development and, and emotion. But there's not really like a big overarching theme or lesson that the the book is trying to tell you like i i don't think you know i mean i think that there's a lot of takeaway from the story but i don't think that it's like a oh well well this book is about how society treats children you know (laughs) i think um you know it seems very just kind of like a, a writing exercise to see how imaginative you can be in building this fantasy world like he does you know he just kind of builds this world without really laying down any rules he just kind of makes vague vague statements about about when something weird happens and gives kind of a half explanation that you get the idea of what he's talking about but Mm -hmm. it really leaves a lot open to interpretation of what it would look like or what it means um i don't know it's just the kind of story that makes me want to write it makes me want to sit and come up with these kinds of ideas and try to put them down on paper. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll do that anytime soon, <laughs> apparently. But, uh, yeah, I love when his, because it, it's a story for adults, right? It's not a children's story, but it all is through the, the point of view of a child. Well, through the memory of an adult, but narrated yeah, as but narr- from his point of view right. as a seven year old. Yeah. Um, and it does kind of capture that sort of, feeling of being a child and and viewing the world that way where you just know adults don't understand the way that you understand things. And I feel like it's really genuine, even though, you know, it's not like Neil Gaiman's a child writing this. Right. Yeah. In preparation for our, our book club episode, I'd kind of gone back and looked through some of the um, different websites that provide questions for book clubs. I don't really like most of them. Well, yeah, I usually hate that kind of stuff. But several of them also had kind of some dialogue about the book on those websites. And I think, you know, it seems like some people are uh, didn't enjoy the, the book as much as you or I did. And, you know, some of them thought it was kind of like a kid's book or some of them didn't care for all the fantasy elements. That's weird. Because why would you pick it up? Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess maybe then you just have no idea 
about Neil Gaiman's writing in general. Yeah, and so I think maybe it's just not the first book to to try to read. It does not read to me like a book for a kid, and I know that wasn't the intent of the author either, right? It's it's about the helplessness of being a kid and how I, I like that it's kind of about that, and it, it frames how your um, your world experience, how you might try to explain it um, with all these fantastical elements. But I think in in the world of this book, it the the fantasy elements are really there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be, you know, I don't know, interpreted both ways, maybe. Yeah, um, I guess. I think it's just, it's a story for story's sake, right? And it wasn't like written with the intention of being for any one group of people. I don't know. I love the way this book made me feel. Um, and I love the the little details like the yellow wash basin, which, you know, there's not any real reason for that to be there except for that it is and that it's just a beautiful element that makes the whole story more real. Like it was a real place and time that happened. One of the things I, I found while looking for those book club questions was a video of of Neil Gaiman answering popular book club questions for this book. And one of the things he uh, talked about was the ocean, which I think is, I don't know, everything about the ocean and the hempstocks and the the world as they see it or where they come from is, is super enjoyable to me and amazing mm-hmm. to read. But the ocean is just something really, you know, an ocean that kind of will condense down and fit into a bucket if you ask it the right, right way, right? But he, he compared the ocean. He said, he said the ocean is kind of like a metaphor for, for books where you can condense, like make a whole world in, inside the pages of this book and you can carry it around with you. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really also beautiful, something I would never think of. So <laughs> <laughs> I think also some of the, the book itself is really based on a lot of experiences he had as a child. I mean, it definitely is. You know, when he was writing the house, he was thinking of, the house that the he house grew from up his in. childhood and the story about the lodger and the white mini that disappears. And it's because he took it and killed himself because he had gambled away all his money. Like that was something that had actually happened to his family. Oh, and really? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know until much later in his life when his dad was like, oh, I didn't tell you. Which <laughs> seems wild to me, but <laughs> one of those things that just doesn't come up when your car goes missing and somebody's dead in it. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. It's interesting. The things that that's funny because, you know, there are things that, um, you know, parents choose or choose not to tell you as a child. And you kind of just wonder about, you know, what happened. You make up your own story for what happened. Or then you find out later that it was just this crazy thing. And kids, you know, are like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, um, that's, that's really funny because I didn't know that. One of the other elements of the book that, he kind of drew from his his own life was the farm at the end of the lane where the the hemp stocks live. Super interesting to hear him tell it because I guess his mom had told him that the farm at the end of the lane of their actual lane was uh, in Cornwall's Doomsday Book. Yeah, I don't uh, know what that is. But. Yeah, but I guess all you really need to know is that it was written a, a thousand years ago, and so he just that farm to him was a thousand years old. And what if these people had lived there for that whole time and nobody really noticed that there was no changeover and Mm-hmm. who live there. And I also didn't know that the hempstocks are kind of uh, a through line in a lot of those books. Like there's a hempstock in the graveyard book and there's a hempstock mm-hmm. in stardust. I didn't, didn't realize that, but I don't remember the hempstocks in the, in stardust, but I do remember the hempstocks in the graveyard book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause that's also another one of my favorites. Right. <laughs> I read it and reread it. I don't know. Uh, one of the 
book club questions that I saw come up frequently was, and one that he also talked about in that video was the naming of the characters in the book. Like a lot of characters have no name. The narrator has no name. You know, at one point they talk about his nickname, Handsome George or something like that. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean his name was George. Right. And then there's the lodger or, you know, his sister or mom or dad, whatever. But then they're actual character names for the Hempstocks and Ursula Moncton. Right, and, which is such an interesting name, right? right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Deliciously named, I think mm-hmm. is what he said. I don't even remember exactly what he said about it, right? Which you would imagine I might remember because <laughs> it was only a 20-minute video and I watched it just earlier today. But uh, I think it's more like a function of what that character is supposed to do for the story, maybe. I don't know. Like, well, What's the question? Just why why some characters have names, some do not. Mm-hmm. Some are just referenced as whatever action they're like. It's interesting because I guess the only characters that do have names are like the really old, established, mystical beings. Yeah. Um, they sort of have a permanence, kind of, that the other characters don't have. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And also, I don't, I don't really like those book club questions either. But I tend like, not to, but... I, it, so, it at least makes me think of like... So ultimately, the man in the story, right, he... He has remembered and forgotten this whole part of his childhood many times. And so those characters just kind of go out of his memory. And then when he remembers them, then they have names. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe. I don't, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, it's all just sort of up to interpretation. Yeah. And memory does play a, a really large part in this, in the book also, especially memories from childhood and how you remember them. And, uh, how you interpreted things. Yeah, memory is pretty fascinating to me in general. Cause I did see or read or listen to something once that had said that, you know, a, a person never remembers something the same way twice. But you don't even really realize that you're not remembering it the same way twice because you're remembering it, you think you're remembering it, right? And then yeah. and you've forgotten how you remembered it the first time. And, and so, you know, people who think that they have really incredible memories and memory is really just inherently and you know inherently fallible like it's a fleeting thing that you know your biology and your emotions have a lot to do with how you remember something um happening uh yeah it's it's a little disappointing right (laughs) (laughs) there are some things that i'm sure that i remember exactly as they happened Uh, sometimes probably don't when i get (laughs) i mean like you know when we have like an argument or something i I literally will forget something that happened 10 minutes ago in that argument just because of how my emotions are, you know, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. And so I love stories that are about memories and how we remember things. And I don't know, they're just kind of beautiful to me. Well, did you have anything else for the book no. that you wanted to talk about? No, I just... It's a pretty short book. There's a lot in there. Yeah, there's uh, a lot. And it's really good. And but, it's, um, it's just such a beautiful story and, you know, a story for story's sake. So we'll probably wrap it up there and we'll be back next week. Right. I hope so. Sweet. <laughs> it was fun. It was smart. We liked it.